Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask for your blessing that you would enlighten us, that you would instruct us. We thank you for this time of year where we recognize the birth of the Savior of the world, that he came and became a human. He became one of us, and that is for all of eternity. This is a mystery to us, Lord, but we pray that you would expand our understanding of the Savior, Jesus Christ, even as we go through the Old Testament. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as we have been going through the book of Exodus, we have seen the first miracle, the miracle of the staves turning into the snakes. We saw the first plague of blood that the magicians in Egypt repeated. And of course, this was to speak against Happy, the Nile God. And all of these plagues are against the gods of Egypt that God brings these plagues, and it's specifically to speak against their native gods, to, see, to show the people of Egypt and the Israelites that their gods are powerless. Also, the second plague of frogs, where the magicians also repeated, the magicians in Israel, this was meant to speak against the goddess Haket. She is a, a human figure with a frog's head. And I'm sure that they were offering up things to this particular goddess, uh, Heket, to get the frogs to go away, and they wouldn't. So we have the water turned to blood. We have the frogs. Next, we're going to get into some call them gnats, some call them lice, and there's flies and the diseased livestock and the boils and the hail and the locusts and the darkness and the death of the firstborn. All of these things are judgments which are coming to the nation of Israel. Now, if you focus too much on those judgments, all you see is the wrath of God. And I could easily do a message where I point out to you what you should be doing. And if you don't, this is going to be the judgment. And of course, there's a place for that where God would use that for all of us. But what we have a tendency to miss, which is more inferred in the text, is how much God loved the Israelites to get them out of there and what he was willing to do to bring them to the promised land. And that is a foretelling of Jesus Christ actually going to the cross and dying so that we might be able to have eternal life. Because we all know, without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would all be condemned and under the judgment. And you understand this as well, that you have to ask Jesus to save you from the judgment that is to come. And if we don't ask for that salvation, we will not be saved after we die. All are condemned. It's this idea that those who choose are not condemned. And those are the Israelites. And those are the ones whom God is bringing these judgments upon Satan and the world in order to get a few who will receive him. Then we have Pharaoh. We left off specifically with Pharaoh being asked, when would you like this plague of frogs to end? And remember what he said? He said, tomorrow, which was just the most ridiculous answer you could possibly give. And of course, that's because of his stubbornness and his rebellion. Now, in history, there have been many people that had opinions about tomorrow. Benjamin Franklin said, never leave till tomorrow that which you can do today. I'm sure you have all heard that. He also said, you may delay, but time will not. Uh, I was taught early on in ministry that when it comes to time, uh, one person actually said, 
I would rather have my money stolen than my time because I have the ability to replace money, but I can never replace the time. Therefore, you should not put off till tomorrow what you can do today. And Benjamin Franklin understood this. Also, you might have the attitude of Mark Twain. Now, he was a little bit of a pejorative individual. He was on the edge a lot. He said, never put off till tomorrow what may be done today after tomorrow just as well. Let me say that again. Never put off till tomorrow what may be done the day after tomorrow just as well. In other words, just keep on putting it off. You can put it off till whenever. You don't have to do it. I used to have um, several laborers, and they came up from the south of the border, and I would ask them to do particular things, and they would turn to me when I would ask them to do something, and they would kind of lean back and go, manana, (laughs) which means, yeah, whatever, we'll get to it. And I would say, no, today. We have to do it today and not tomorrow. Also, maybe you remember this individual by the name of Stephen Wright, the comedian. Stephen Wright, the comedian, he was a tall individual. He was balding right in the middle of his head, and he had fluffy hair on the sides. He said, plan to be spontaneous tomorrow. Right? Just kind of put it off. Now, this is the guy. Maybe you remember this particular joke. This is the guy that said, His grandmother once came to him. They were in the same house. And his grandmother said, I want you to come here over to me. And he goes, what do you mean? And he said, and she said, well, I want you to come from over there and come over here. And so he said, okay. And he walked over and she handed him $10. And she said, now I'm going to give this to you, but I don't want you to tell your mother. So he took and he goes, well, it's going to cost you more than that. It was a funny guy. So this idea of putting off things, you know, you want to be spontaneous tomorrow. You don't want to do that. You don't want to put off things till tomorrow, which was Pharaoh's big mistake here. Now, there's a few subjects in Scripture that it talks about this. For instance, concerning salvation, receiving salvation is not to be delayed. If you hear the gospel... Scripture says today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. So when you hear the gospel, God says, do not delay until tomorrow in receiving this. And what that means is you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. That's what you're supposed to do when you hear you can be saved from the wrath to come. Don't put it off. Why should you not put it off? I can't tell you the number of testimonies over the last few months that I have read of people who have been fine one day and the next day fallen severely ill. And these testimonies of what they're feeling and what they're thinking, and and it's in these secular forums. I, I try to maintain some contact with what we know as millennials. There's a couple of uh, apps that are out there, and there's even an app for this area that kids will post on, and they'll say different things, and some of it is just, completely base it is just terrible and others uh, that make comments there you're going wow these these people need to know what salvation is they need to know what the gospel is and you can post things on there and there's a couple of websites that are like that that post what millennials are thinking and the way that the world is going there's not much hope 
It's getting darker and darker for them. Uh, Like, for instance, they don't think that they'll reach the American dream of owning their own home and having a family, and a lot of them are living with their parents. And and so there is some despair which which is out there, but this idea concerning salvation, it is not to be delayed. And also... Uh, we are not to say with certainty what we're supposed to do tomorrow, what we're going to do tomorrow. In the book of James, it speaks about this. It says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. So we're not supposed to talk about with certainty what we're going to do tomorrow. We're to focus on today. I I used to have that habit of living in the future, what I'm going to do next. And I learned from reading scripture, live in the moment You will miss the moment. It's like when your kids are growing up. Live in the moment. Don't live for what they're going to become. You spend time with them. And even when it gets to the grandkids, just enjoy them being there. Because they grow up so quickly, as we all know. Also, the world has a tendency to focus on well, I, I got to do this tomorrow. I got to do that tomorrow because I'm going to have to have a need for food and I'm going to have to have a need to wear things. And of course, Matthew chapter six, the pagans are concerned about these things. Not that we don't have jobs. God says you should have a job so you can provide for yourself and for others. But we have a tendency to worry about what's going to take place tomorrow. Remember, for those of you who are around my age of 40, when we were... When we were growing up and we were in school, I remember in elementary school having these drills where you get under your desk. You guys remember that? And you would have to get under your desk and put your hands over your head and put your head down. And why were we doing that? Cuba, Castro, that we were worried about a nuclear bomb going off here and they were trying not to tell us that we were under a threat at that particular point but I remember doing those drills all the time and practicing for that and it was a real scary time in our existence and we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow you know these shootings that are taking place with ISIS or ISIL or IS you have to figure out what that is and by the way I'm going to be discussing that in Wednesdays coming up in February But we could be concerned about that. What if they light off a dirty bomb somewhere? Or what if they contaminate the water and and we can just fret and we're not supposed to? You know, if we get taken out, we get taken out. That's just glory for us. We get to go to heaven. But I know it's kind of scary if you fear death. Well, what does that mean? Where am I going? And there's always this lack of faith. We're not to worry about that. Just worry about today. If you have your salvation, it's all good. Focus on today. Don't be like Pharaoh and say, I'm going to put this off till tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about it in the next day or the next week. I'm just going to live my life as God would have me live my life. Even Pablo Picasso, he understood this. Only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. So see, he understood this. If there's something you want to put off, only put off that in which you are willing to die and not have it done. Now, if things are important to you, this gives it real perspective. And just as a side note, Pablo Picasso, you know his paintings, right? 
they're disjointed, a nose is here, an eyeball is here. He painted like that because of his view of God. Now, the great artists do that. And that is probably a discussion for another day, but he didn't see God as being someone you could understand, that he's fragmented, that we know him by these uh, prepositional statements, these propositional statements that God is love or God is, and you put that is in there and that defines God, but that's not the whole measure of who God is. And so that's why he painted the way he did. God is a nose. God is an eye, and he wouldn't put them together in harmony. And so, but he did understand the importance of living in today. Now, Pharaoh was not going to be obedient to God until the next day. He was actually asking for the next day for it to be fulfilled. And we should avoid this kind of error. And why should we avoid this error of putting things off till tomorrow? Well, number one, we might miss the blessing. Secondly, we might prolong our own error, as Pharaoh indeed did. And we might affect those around us in a negative way. Pharaoh putting off his decision, did that help the people or hurt the people? It hurt the people, you know, to have those frogs everywhere. Now, I did some research on the frogs, and the frogs are probably about an inch long. Now, I don't know if you've seen a lot of frogs. Have you ever gone to the the pools when we were growing up? We'd go get the tadpoles, and we'd bring them back, and it was just a lot of fun to see the legs form and the tail disappear. It It was great, especially these little bullfrogs. We'd watch that. And as these things would come up, the land was literally covered with them. And as we'll see, they were raking them up into heaps when this plague was completely finished. Also, we can commit a sin of omission, not doing something when God has given us the opportunity to do it, especially if that thing is good. If we have something that we can do that is good, like salvation getting saved, if we don't do that, we are sinning and not doing that. And God will judge the sin and we'll be eternally separated from him. And so we, we need to make sure that we are drawing close to God when we have the opportunity. Don't put that off. That's like the prayer and the reading and the fellowship, all of that. It, it, the church in the first century, that was one of the things that they did. They, they were involved in fellowship. That is just as crucial as being in the word or being in prayer. And if we become lax in our fellowship, we are actually being disobedient. And if you are being obedient, you get the blessing. The blessing of meeting everybody. You know, I was watching you guys, as I said, turn around and say hello. The smiles, the hugs, it was like, hey, how you doing, brother? Two pets on the back and a nice hug. And it was all good. And then you cross the aisle and you guys wouldn't stop talking. It's like I had to start playing. Okay, come on, we're going to get into the playing again. It's an enjoyable thing to meet with other people and talk with them. And if we don't do that, we miss the blessing. And I'm specifically referring to those in the body of Christ. We're going to do this forever, and we're supposed to practice here. Now, if you have the attitude of, I don't like you guys very much. What, what is that? You know, you might check your salvation because nobody ever hates his own brother right? If you hate your own brother, it clearly says that you're not saved. And of course, we need to be obedient to his word and what his word has to say. So if it's fellowship, when should you show up to fellowship? On time, right? If, if we sit there and we say, well, you know, I'm going to get there whenever. 
you make an effort to get on time. Now, you would look at me and you would say, and I'm never the good example, but I'm going to use myself. What if I was late all the time? You know, it's a 35 past the hour and pastor's not here yet. You should see the panic that takes place if I'm not here uh, right when the time. Call him and text him, make sure he's coming. And Eric has a message all ready to go, you know, and it's kind of panic city. But it's expected of me that I am here. I know the Lord expects me to be here. Why? Because he's going to put his thumb on my shoulder if I don't? No. I get to see you guys. I get to be involved in worship. It's a fantastic thing to be involved like that. And why miss the blessing? You know, the people that I grew up around with spiritually, they were just full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit. And it was a wonderful thing. And I would show up early just to see them and talk to them. And they would show up early too. And we would get together and we'd chit-chat and it would be a great thing. I've never felt under a burden or compelled that I, I have to show up to church. I have to be involved in fellowship. I get to be involved in fellowship. The Lord blesses me when I do. And my hope for you is that you see it the same way that if somebody says, man, you should show up. Well, you're telling me again that I need to do... No, you get the blessing of being there. You get the blessing of the fellowship. And that's what's great. And so we have Pharaoh saying, tomorrow, that's when he wants the plague to end. Moses replied in verse 10, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. So Pharaoh's obedience led to some prolonged repercussions, or his disobedience led to some prolonged repercussions of the frogs remaining behind. And then it goes on to say in Scripture, the frogs died in the houses in the courtyards, in the fields, and they were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. Now, I recently, in my job, I came across a dead cat. (laughs) I don't have to tell you. You know, cats, when they do their business, they're kind of smelly anyhow, but a dead cat, 15 feet away, I could smell this cat. Now imagine not having hundreds, not having thousands, but having millions of frogs everywhere. When you step somewhere, they were there. When you looked up on the ceiling, they were there. When you looked on the walls, they were there. When you looked on your kitchen cabinets and counters, they are there. They were everywhere for these people. And then they just died. They died all at once. And there would have been this aroma that would have covered the land. And it would almost have been choking to the point that they could not breathe. They probably put some material over their face to try to compensate, but there would have been no relief. They would have just been everywhere. And by the way, when it, it comes to this particular plague, it's not to the fourth plague that it appears the frogs probably affected the people in the land of Goshen, which were the Israelites as well. God makes a distinction later on, and he says it's not going to affect the Israelites. But up to this point, it may have affected the Israelites. It's not clear in Scripture, and it seems to be uh, unanimous amongst the commentators that the land of Goshen was affected by those first few plagues 
as well. But these frogs died and they were piled into heaps. Now, if you look at the actual Hebrew, the word for heaps is doubled. And now we say piled into heaps, but it was heaps, heaps in Hebrew. Now, what do you think that means? It means there were piles upon piles. There was a lot of frogs and you would rake them into these piles and then you would have to take them off by baskets and probably throw them into the Nile is what they do. I'm sure that's probably what they did. Or they put them on the carts and they put them down in the Nile River. But they spent days raking these things up. And the whole, you try to sleep and you couldn't sleep because of the smell, the piles of frogs which were out there. And also, it says that it reeked. Uh, the smell in the original language, it was abhorrent. It was difficult to catch your breath. It was also a symbol of what was morally repugnant. And God was giving them a taste of what their sin actually was. In the nostrils of God, their sin, their disobedience, especially that of Pharaoh, would have been repugnant. It would have been something that he would have to try to turn away from because it was so foul. And God says that about our sin as well. That's why our bodies, our very bodies, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because they are foul, they are repugnant, they are going to be destroyed, they are under a curse. And that's why God gives us a new body when we go to heaven. Verse 15 says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. And so when the consequence was removed, the behavior was resumed. Now we do this as well. Unless the consequence is taken away, we will not continue. If the consequence is taken away, we continue. Now, go back to your teenage years. Go back to your elementary school years. If you knew that your parent was around or a person in authority and they said, don't do something, did you do it again if they weren't there? See, you know the nature of the human being. The nature is if there is no consequence... We continue. If the consequence is taken away, and this, I've seen this happen in families as well, where the parents, they brood over their children so much, they want to stop behavior and the consequences that come from the behavior. And I've always counseled the parents, let them fall. Let them experience what it is. Let them go to jail if they have to go to jail. Let them sit there, and when they're inside, maybe they'll contemplate what is going on. I remember a trip that we had down to the police station in Chula Vista when I was going to Rosebank Elementary School. They took all of us. We were little kids, and they shoved us into a holding cell, and they turned the key, and they walked away. And we were inside this gray, dank, dark cell that was down in Chula Vista. And then they came back and said, do you want to be in here again? And all the kids said, no, mister. And they let us out. And we saw what it was. And then they fingerprinted us. 
And then they showed us mug shots of what was it. They were trying to put a little bit of fear in us. You don't want to come back here. And of course, the police officer, you know, he was there. He was like this six foot towering guy looking over us with a gun on his side. You don't want to see me again. You know, that type of thing. Just Mr. And we left. And, and so we were out of there. We were trying to learn what it was. They wanted us to learn what it was that there were going to be consequences for our actions. And it worked for me. I only ended up in jail one other time after that. <laughs> and I, I learned my lesson. You know, so what about that? What about jail and what about prisoners? I did some research on that. What do you think the recidivism rate is for those people who go to prison? Those who return again? Six... 60 to 80, you know, that is the exact margin. It is 60 to 80%. Those people who commit a a property crime, like thievery or destroying something, those people had an 82% recidivism rate. It was either after three years or five years, they were arrested again. They did it again. Those people with violent crimes were more down in the 60% range. But, you know, there's this guy, this governor. I think he was a governor of... um, Kansas, Sam Sam Brownback, I think that's the governor. He did a study, he was interested in this, and he did um, a couple of speeches, and he actually stayed in a prison one night, and he wanted to experience what was going on there. And if by the research that I was reading, I would have to guess he was probably a believer. He wanted to know how to stop the recidivism rate. And they did some research on this. For instance, there are those who have mental issues and drug issues. And he said, if you address that, it brings the recidivism rate down. But the other thing that brought it down all the way to 9% was if they had a mentor, a believer that came in there and helped them with their issues. Only 9% of the people ended up going back to prison. You know what that told me? As a church, we need to be involved in prison. You know, and God says that too. When did you visit me in prison? He says that to the goats. And we do that, why? Because we're under compulsion? Because God has his boot on our neck? No, we do that because he got us out of prison. He got us out of the shackles of sin. And he's bringing us to a heavenly home. And we can assist in doing that for others. Now, I can't do everything. I've been to the prisons down there and seen the people and you get a heart for those guys who are on the inside and they just need help they need direction they need somebody that can assist them and the recidivism rate according to what the governor did there goes all the way down to nine percent and we can actually assist somebody in real time not tomorrow not the next day we can do it today if we simply help them if we're in communication with them and so pharaoh The difference between Pharaoh and somebody who has a a mentor, so to speak, Pharaoh had a heart that would not change. The people in prison, they were instructed on how to change their heart, and they changed it, and they ended up not going back. And so it's a heart issue for us. Instead of looking at these plagues, when God came to Pharaoh, he kept on pressing in on Pharaoh. 
this is going to happen and all your officials and all the people of the land are going to complain to you and it's going to get rough. But he would not change. His heart would not be softened. It just became harder and harder when God was bringing this difficulty. In the book of Hebrews, it says even the believer who experiences difficulty or hardship, we are to consider that as God is disciplining us. And we are to humble ourselves before God. And we go before him and say, God, I recognize your hand in this what would you require of me pharaoh was not doing that pharaoh was not saying wow this is the hand of god as the magicians told him when the gnats or the lice came they said this is the finger of god and he would not relent he would not repent he just became harder and harder in his obstinance and that's what judgment can do you know in a household where you have an authoritarian father do the kids rebel a lot of the times? They absolutely do. You know, the world is a little bit different today, and some of it's good, some of it's bad as far as discipline of children is concerned. But it was a harsher environment uh, growing up, I think, than the world we have today. And that harsher environment, there was a lot of rebellion. I mean, look at the 60s. What happened in the 60s? Just these kids, no discipline or anything. And so there's a downside and there's a good side. But when God comes along and he brings something to us, we should humble ourselves and say, God, I I hear you. What is it you require of me? Just think if Pharaoh did that. If Pharaoh turned like Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, if he turned and said, the Lord is the God, the great I am, he is the one that rules over everything. And he could have gone to Moses and said, Moses, Pray for me and my people that I would have wisdom to rule over them since you are leaving. And he would just set them free. Imagine the blessing that would have come to Pharaoh if he would have done that. Because God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. He does not. He will draw near to those who draw near to God. If Pharaoh would have done that, the story would have turned out differently. But it didn't. And so that's a lesson for us. If you feel God's hand of discipline, if you think things aren't going your way, if your health is failing, if your finances are failing, if things are going wrong one after the other. By the way, the duration of all of these plagues took place in about 50 days. Now imagine over 50 days, all of these plagues, and there was hardly a break between them. It would take several days, like seven days for the blood in the Nile to totally clear out. So all of these would happen in succession. And it would have been a difficult time. People would have been saying, what is going on here? Can't we get some kind of relief? And Pharaoh was going, no, and he's just getting angry. And Moses was saying, hey, it's up to you, man. Whenever you want to turn this around, you can. And God gives us the choice. And he gives us a choice all the way up until the time we die. He says, hey, you want to go to heaven? It's your choice. You choose. You declare with your own mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's able to save you. And he will. He will say, good, I was just waiting for you to do that. It's about time. Well, really, no, I knew it's the time, but just come on in. You know, you, you get to get into heaven. It's a blessing. It's not the curse, even though it's hard. It's hard to do this. It's hard to walk the Christian life. But God says, don't worry. It's all going to end soon. And so with this, if we're going to, going back to the prisoners, if we're going to help others and assist them, that means we have to train ourselves. Now, chronologically, you have a particular age. Spiritually, you have another age. And you've heard me exhort you on this before. If your age as a believer is third grade 
And that is the average age of the Christian in the United States. Third grade. Can you remember third grade? I can remember third grade. Mrs. Kellogg, dark hair, five foot one, just a sweetie. She was from the south somewhere. She was just a pleasure to be under. And I remember the whole class environment and how good it was. It was just great. And we can be like that as Christians. We can come to church. It's not Mrs. Kellogg. It's Mr. Bodker. He's up there and he's giving the message. And it's so pleasant. We have parties and, you know, Calvary Chapel. We eat a lot and it's all good. And you can look at life like that. And then there's the other side, the seriousness of what's going on. And you've got to train yourself. You've got to move forward. You have to be dedicated to it. And this idea of training yourself, I'm just going to uh, give you the overview of it. In the Greek, we get a word from these Greek words called gymnasium. And gymnasium means to train. But in the Greek, it was explicit that it meant to train naked. Now, we're not going to do that, all right? And if you go to the gym, 24-hour fitness, you're not going to go there and train naked because Scripture said to do that in the, gym, in the gymnasium, you know. But this idea, you are supposed to practice, you are supposed to train, you are supposed to be in the gymnasium because back then, you know, they had the Olympics and all of that. And that's what God encourages us to do. And what does that mean? What does that look like? It means fellowship it means being in the word it means the breaking of bread the apostles doctrine all of those things we're supposed to be involved in why because it's tough yeah training is that tough it is hard now i've been involved in different types of athletics ever since i was in elementary school i remember it i loved it but there were times maybe like you you go to the gym I don't want to go to the gym. And you have to go to the gym. And then when you're at the gym, I don't want to be here at this. And you don't spend enough time there. And you just leave. And then we start extending our borders, you know, literally. And, and we, we should not. And we should always be involved in some type of training. And spiritually, this is true as well. If we never open our Bibles, we never get any training. If we're never in fellowship, we never get any training. I tell you, I haven't mentioned this in years, but there's this guy... Um, Rich Bueller, which used to be on KBRT Radio, 740 on the dial. And they've moved on another radio station, and Rich Bueller has since deceased. But he would counsel on the radio three hours a day. And I would listen to him every day for three hours for almost a decade. And the man had so much wisdom. I would just be baffled. I'd go, wow. That is so great. That advice is so great. That wisdom is just dripping with not only knowledge but with love. And he would give this information, and I would just marvel. And so I, by doing so, by osmosis, so to speak, I got trained in that. Now, I am no way near what he was, but I learned things just by sitting at his feet. And all the Bible teachers on there just listening to the variety of teachers and the things that you're able to learn and glean. And that it enabled me to do ministry in the future. And it was just because I was occupying. I didn't have to put a lot of effort in, but there are times I did. But you just listen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it all works out for the benefit, not only of myself, but for those with whom I have interaction. So God tells us to train ourselves so we can help these people who don't know what they should know to live a godly life or to be saved. And so to review here, we have Pharaoh saying tomorrow. 
he would put off the good that he should have done that particular day. And then there's also today, we need to focus on today and doing what God calls us to do today. And then there are always going to be consequences from our actions. If there is an action we commit, which causes God to judge us, our heart will either soften or it will become hard. Many times it becomes hard because we don't like the judgment. Many people start shaking their fist at God and saying, why God have you done this? And God is trying to get their attention because in hardship, I I was just going through the book of Ecclesiastes with the high schoolers. And in the Ecclesiastes, of course, it's King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And he said, it's better to be in the house of the mourning, those who mourn, rather than at a, and I'm going to give it my own spin, a fiesta. It's better to be one who is mournful than the one who is at a party having a good time. And why? Because the heart is in the right place when you're going through difficulty. You will actually hear God. When you're at a party, do you listen much for the voice of God? You don't listen to them at all. You listen to each other, right? I do that. I go to a party. I'm focused on everybody who's there. Why? Because it's fellowship. But you know, God can pierce that too. But it's good that we spend our time looking for those things today that we can get positive consequences from. Now, imagine if you applied yourself. I was thinking about this the other day too. How long would it take to learn a new language if you applied yourself one hour a day? 20 years, you know. Oh, it, it would just take probably a few years if you did that. And if you did that, would God use that if you're a believer? Absolutely he would. Or if you learn sign language, would God use that in you for somebody who did not uh, have the ability to hear? Yes, he would. And so with you and God, you can turn to God and you can say, what would you have me do, God? And again, I don't want to put so much of the emphasis on what we're supposed to do for God, and there is a place for that. It's what God has done for us, and that's why we respond. Now, most of the prophets in the Old Testament, there are some exceptions, but most of the prophets, when they'd hear God, they would simply say, here I am, Lord, what would you like? Now, there are prophets who didn't do that, like Moses. Remember Moses? Moses was going to be killed, by God when he showed up. And then Jonah. Remember Jonah? Got swallowed by a fish because he didn't want to be obedient to what God said. And there's a few prophets like that. But there are prophets who were zealous for the, the, the Lord. For instance, do you look at God's word as, I don't want to read that. It tells me everything I'm doing wrong. Or do you open it up and say, I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night just like a tree planted by the rivers, I forget how the rest of it goes, just by the streams, you will be planted deep. Your roots will go deep. And it's just like, great. You go to Psalm 146, 147, and I think 148, it's just praise the Lord, praise the God from the heavens. And that was David. David had this relationship with God that he was excited. He even get out there and shake a leg, right? He was dancing before the Lord. Woo, yeah. He was just praising God. He had a heart that was in love with God's word and God himself. And then you had the flap rocks. You know, you had the, woe is me, it's so hard. Yeah, it's hard. Life is hard. And so you choose this day, and we'll close it up here, this idea that, hey, God wants you to have the blessing. 
If you just apply yourself, if you just say, I know it's tough, but I'm going to have the fellowship. I know it's hard, but I'm going to read the word. But once you've done it over a period of time, it's like learning a new language. You will learn the language of God if you're in his word. It will give you wisdom. It will give you health. It will give you life. It will be marrow for your bones if you are involved in it. If you just say, I don't have time for that, well... We have the consequences for that too. But the thing to look forward to is the blessings of God. This is my prayer for you, that you'd be able to die to the things of this world and to the things of the flesh. You would not be concerned about gathering for yourselves items for this life and this life only. You'd not be concerned with prestige or position or only gaining knowledge for the sake of knowledge, that you would gain knowledge for the sake of others, that you would seek out the joy of the Lord, that you would not be apathetic in your view of church and fellowship and the word and the apostles' doctrine, but that you would apply yourself and the blessings will come if you do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask for your blessing in this. Although Pharaoh would not repent, help us to do that, Lord, when there is hardship. Help us to turn to you and consider all hardship as discipline from you. Help us to be on our knees before you, thanking you for the blessings that you do provide. And Father, when the hardship comes, we ask for strength. Strength to not turn to the ways of the flesh, but strength to give you honor and praise. We thank you, Lord, for your care over us. We thank you for the salvation you bring. In Jesus' name, amen.